Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Lauren Vasquez. Lauren is the supervisor of the Adolescents Achieving Independence Program with Valley Youth House based in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining our podcast series. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am doing wonderfully. I know we're both in Pennsylvania, which is a pleasant thing to happen now and then. And it's beautiful outside, at least here in Harrisburg. It is, yes. (laughs) And you're in Bethlehem. Yep, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Wonderful. Before we talk about your organization, what I like to ask our guests is if you could please share a little about yourself and your background and how it is that you came to be connected with the foster care system. Sure. Well, my name is Lauren Vasquez. I'm currently working for Valley Youth House. I started here in 2014. I started in the Adolescents Achieving Independence Program, and we are contracted with the children youth agencies in our neighboring counties, Lehigh County, Northampton, and Carbon County. So I started as a life skills counselor for Lehigh County children and youth. That's how I got involved in the foster care system. I worked primarily, at that time, it was from age 16 to 21-year-olds. Since then, laws have changed, and now we work with youth from ages 14 to 23. And that's whether they are currently in the foster care system. Sometimes they are able to age out and we'll continue to work with them or if they sign out of care. So that's how I became involved. I have a bachelor's in criminal justice, which to be honest, I don't know why. I'm not sure what exactly (laughs) I wanted to do, but I took a social work (laughs) class and that just kind of opened my eyes. And I was like, I think this is where I meant to be. So I did end up getting a master's while I was working and going to school. And I've been at Valley Youth House ever since. So just my roles changed a bit. I went from a counselor to now I um, supervise the counselors for my program. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. When did that change? When did that change? About a year ago. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I still get to work with some youth and I try to throw myself still and be in part of things with the youth and counselors. I think it's important to still stay involved. The best part of the job is working directly with the kids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you commenting on the degrees, Mm -hmm. because I always thought that I think it might make more sense for young people to get out and have a little life experience before they have to choose their degrees, because who knows when you're that young, what exactly it is you want to do. I agree. And well, to be (laughs) honest, that's what happened with me. I graduated, I did a little of this, little of that, worked, and I kind of went back and forth. I always knew I wanted to work with people and help people in some way. I guess I just didn't know how or what degree would take me there. So once I decided, I was like, okay, this is my path and my passion. And working with teenagers really became my passion. It's not always the easiest group to work with. I think you have to have a certain personality to really want to engage with teenagers, but I couldn't imagine working with any other population. 
Yeah, it is a tougher group, but again, it really enriches your life, I think. Absolutely. When you're working with the teenagers. I worked at Milton Hershey School for many years. And I know with the student homes, it was super easy to find house parents and relief house parents for the elementary kids, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. wants to have the little ones. Yeah. And then middle schoolers are just squirrely. So it takes a special kind of person (laughs) to work with the middle schoolers. But then high school, that was a tougher home to fill. But The ones that did it were dedicated and did amazing things with the young people. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to hear about, what kind of amazing things that you're doing for young people in that age group. Yes. So thank you very much for sharing about your own background. Now I would love to hear about Valley Youth House and the Adolescents Achieving Independence Program. So I'll just let you take over and tell us all about it. Sure. So Valley Youth House, the agency, it actually, it started as just a single shelter here in Bethlehem. We've been in business over 40 years and has grown and grown and grown many programs, so many that I I can't name them all, (laughs) but we are out there assisting youth and families in Pennsylvania. My specific program, it falls under the Valley Youth House umbrella of independent living. And so Adolescents Achieving Independence, we call it AAI. We are in-home providers, meaning we go out to wherever the youth are placed. So if that's a foster home or a different type of placement. We go out there, meet the youth where they are at. Sometimes it's a residential IL site. So we do have many IL sites through Valley Youth House as well. And those are wonderful programs. It's really a step for the youth. They get their own living space, but there are adults and residential advisors who are there to guide them along the way. It's a way for them to practice like being on their own, but still have like that guidance and adults that are needed. (laughs) for young people. And is that under the AAI umbrella or was that a separate program? That's under the independent living umbrella. We work closely with them. Gotcha. And so, but AAI, everything is based on the individual needs of the youth. So we work with them to identify and achieve whatever their specific goals are. And that could change throughout the time that we're with them. Like I said, we can start services with these youth at age 14 and work with them till they're 23. So we really get to know them, watch them grow and change. And it's wonderful to be there for that many years to be part of their lives. We focus on five domains. So education, employment, housing, daily living skills, and permanency. Basically, all the skills that they need to learn to become an independent adult. And we really try to get them as prepared as possible for living on their own. And sometimes that can be, you know, aging out at 21 Or sometimes earlier, you know, youth have the right to sign out of care when they turn 18. So sometimes they decide, I'm ready to go, and we'll assist them. We can help them look for apartments. We do things like helping them look for employment. And if they're not ready for that, it's maybe just employment skills. Let's practice making a resume. Let's practice interview skills, things like that. We have many youth who want to go off to college, so helping prepare them for that, which can be the fun stuff, taking them on college tours, (laughs) looking into, you know, what do you want to do? Let's find the best college for you. And then sitting down, helping them with their financial aid paperwork and all that fun stuff. So it's kind of like we're there as a mentor for whatever they need. I've called myself an adulting coach at times because it's really just a plethora of things that we do. 
I like that adulting coach. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard that. I've heard the term coach. Yep. <laughs> as opposed, you know, mentor, counselor, coach. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different terms out there that people use for somebody who's guiding the young person, but I like the adulting coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very often we take the youth out into the community. So it's possible we'll run into someone they know. You introduce me how you feel comfortable. You don't have to say I'm a counselor or anything like that. I've had youth say, you're my adulting coach. So like, I like that too. <laughs> well, I think the term coach works better too, because coaching is really more about helping identify strategies, mm-hmm. having the person go out and try the strategies and then come back and say, okay, what worked? What didn't mm-hmm. work? Let's see what we can change and tweak and do better next time. And to me, that's much more of a coaching approach versus counseling, which is you know really listening heavy and so mm-hmm. forth. So I like the idea of the term coach being there. Yeah. Mentor is mm-hmm. great too, but I think coach fits maybe mm-hmm. the best. Yeah, I agree. And I think because, again, we're working with the youth, they're identifying their goals. And sometimes they might be goals that are really hard to achieve or maybe not the most realistic at the time, but we're there as just to stand there next to them and assist and, you know, Sometimes failures happen in life. We learn from that and we're there to just be that support that they need. Yeah. How many counselors are there or coaches? (laughs) In my specific program, it's five. And then we have five in the other county and two in another county. So we're a pretty big program overall. So it's in three different counties. Correct. We're just all in the same building here. And, you know, we work together as a team, but we have separate counties just because there's very specific things that each county needs from us, documentation-wise, financial, things like that. But otherwise, we're all, you know, the counselors are doing the same job. Mm -hmm. So your youth that you work with, are they coming from within those counties then? Yes. Okay. And that's a requirement. Yes, they come to us because they are dependent of one of those counties. And then mm, okay. we work with them on their life skills and then, you know, just grow with them as they move along. Sometimes it is possible that they might start in living in our county, but they may move depending on placements, things like that, which is why it's important that we go to them. Right. Now, you had mentioned that you are contracted by the counties. Yes. So help me understand, because it sounds like there's certainly a relationship there with the county government. What is different working with the counties and maybe the accountability there versus if you were just an independent nonprofit? Well, we have to, you know, uphold the standards of the counties. And again, it's almost like we're working for them because the counties legally have to provide independent living life skills to youth who are in their care. So in some neighboring counties, maybe the children and youth workers do that. But for these ones, they contract us out to do that. So we're actually, I mean, I consider us to be partners with them. We work very closely with the county workers. We get to know them. And it's nice to have that team. And and sometimes they do have large teams. And part of our job is trying to get us all on the same page. You know, sometimes youth have so many providers that they don't even know, oh, who are you here? Why are you here? What are you doing today? So it can be a challenge for them. So we do try to work together with their team, almost a little bit of like a liaison too. The youth do tend to come to our counselors if they have a problem or need to vent or talk about something. Oftentimes, the counselors will then be like, hey, let's have a meeting then. Let's talk to your caseworker. Let's talk to, you know, whoever you need involved, your providers. I like that. It's a team support approach, but I could see how it could be confusing Mm -hmm. 
for the young person if you have, you know, somebody from CASA and a social yes. worker and somebody from your organization and so forth and so on. I like the idea of trying to narrow it down to one primary contact mm-hmm. through your counselors. And I think one of the things with our counselor, so a lot of our program too, that I didn't get to mention, we do a lot of just activities. We try to get these youth out there doing things that maybe they've never had a chance to do or just open their eyes to new things. So a lot of wellness activities, hiking, anything outside. Last week, we just got a few of the kids together to have a basketball game. We've gone to, you know, the Lost Tavern, caves. We've taken you to the beach. I mean, we got to see an 18-year-old girl go in the water for the first time. She was so excited. And we have groups and, you know, we're like the fun program. So they really get to know us. And because we have those relationships with them, usually they come to their life skills counselor first for whatever that might be. All right. All right. Let me back up a little bit because I'm just curious, what is the experience that the young person goes through being introduced to your organization? How do you onboard them? And then what is it that they are experiencing? Are they getting like weekly, monthly visits from you? Is it as needed? How does that relationship build and grow? And then how long does it last? That's a great question. So we get our referrals, we'll go out, and in a way, we're kind of selling the program to them. It is voluntary. No one's forcing them to do it, but we go out, we'll explain, you know, these are the perks of it. This is, you know, you get to learn a lot of different things, have fun, meet other youth, which is a huge selling point. A lot of the groups and stuff that we do are bigger, and they get a chance to meet some youth who are in similar situations. You know, they might go to school and not know anyone else in the foster care system. We also have some other fun perks. You know, we give them stipends for things such as good grades or perfect attendance. If they stay employed for a certain amount of time, we give them a stipend. Between that and the fun stuff, that sells them right away. But then we're also letting them know that we're here to be that extra person in your life to help guide you through this journey of foster care. We're also there to try to help them make connections with other people in the community. Permanency is probably the main domain that we want to work on the most, but it's the biggest struggle. It's finding people out there. They don't necessarily have to go move in with this person, but it's someone for them to call if they have a question or they want to go visit someone for a holiday and trying to get them more in touch with their community so they're not just relying on service providers and professionals. So that's really how we win them over. And then, you know, the process of let's figure out your goals. So we have a goal plan. Every six months, they review it. They identify what they want to work on, who's going to assist, because again, they might have a big team. And then usually the connection starts right away. I'm even big on like, hey, it's your second session, you want to take the kid for ice cream, you know, get to know them. I think that being in the car, putting the music on, that's a great way to kind of break the ice a little bit. And we're lucky enough to be able to do that in our program. Sure. I found in my experience, particularly with teenagers, that if you're driving a car and there's a young person with you, and especially if there's more than one young person, Mm -hmm. they will talk and say things that it's like you're not there, right? And they'll just talk (laughs) and share. And so doing something where you're not just face to face in a chair, like that's the thing to do. Mm -hmm. We always talk about (laughs) that. There's something about being in the car or even just go Mm -hmm. for a walk. We're not therapists. It's not traditional. Let's sit in a room. You sit in the chair and talk like it's let's get out there. You want to try something new? Let's try it together. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
So they start building relationships. And is it just the one person then from your organization? There's one person that's assigned to this young person. Is it kind of a random thing that you kind of match the counselor with the young person? Not totally random. It depends. I mean, sometimes we'll read a little bit about the youth in their referral. And if they have very similar interests to this counselor, you know, maybe they will be able to go to them. Yeah, it's not always totally random. The If we get the information, you know, you try to do your best to make a good match. Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how often do you end up connecting or talking or visiting with the young people? It depends. Depends on, you know, how far away are they? The distance can be a barrier, which actually has changed, positive change with COVID, because we can do some virtual now. A counselor only has so much time in the day, so maybe that youth would be a once a month. But now it can be once a month in person, but another time virtually or whatever the case may be. But it is very case-by-case basis. Some youth would love to be with a counselor every week. Some of them, it's bi-weekly. It all depends on the need. And also, if the youth has a lot going on, then maybe they need to be with their counselor a couple of times to get certain things done. In general, at least once or twice a month, I would say, for everyone. All right. And so how long do they typically stay with the program and what is the trigger, if you will, for quote unquote graduating, right? So leaving the program, at what point do you feel like, okay, they feel pretty good with their goals and they're feeling like they can move forward on their own? How does that look? Each youth is different. We have had youth who've stayed with us from age 14 till they can't be with us anymore, right? So at 21, they might be out of care, but we are still able to work with them till 23. I've been here eight years. I have had youth who stayed with us for those eight years that I've been around, which is awesome. We really get to be a big part of their lives. And they make that call. They say, yes, I want to stay with the program and they stay. Yep. It's all voluntary. And that's part of what we tell them from the beginning. Like, you know, you might get to a point where you're busy, you're working, going to school, like you are just, you're adulting. So you you don't really need us. That's fine. We're also still going to be a phone call away if needed. And I still have youth who they'll check in every once in a while, want to say hi, or, you know, just ask a little advice. And we're totally open to that as well. But generally they tell us, right? you know. Can young people say, oh, I think I'm good. I'm going to go out and try things and then realize things might be tougher than they thought and then come back formally into the program? Oh, yes. That happens very often too. Yeah. (laughs) I think, I mean, I... And not just youth in foster care system, but I think all teenagers, they just want that independence right away. They just want to be out there on their own, being an adult. And sometimes you get out there and it's tough. I had my own experience. I was lucky enough that I had parents that would take me in or, mom, I can't really afford groceries because I spent all my money. They take me shopping. But, you know, some, unfortunately, a lot of these youth don't have that backup, those, you know, permanency resources to help them. So they will call upon us for help. And we like it when they do. I'd rather them call us when they need us than push us away when they need us the most. Right. And do the young people need to be engaged in the program before 21 in order to participate to 23? Yes. Okay. So they can't come back and at age 22 and say, oh, I want to be part of the program. They really need to be engaged prior to that. Yes. If they were part of our program at any point and then at 22, they said, hey, like I could really use some help, want to be part of it, they can come back a little later. All right. It just looks a little different for 21. That is really trying to get them more out in the community, 
community resources, things like that. It's like we're giving them a little more of a push. We don't want them 21. If they are in care, then they age out. They no longer have their caseworker. They might lose a big part of their support system. So it's a way that we can still be there. It just might not be as much as before, but they don't lose everyone all at once. It's a transition. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. I was wondering, you had talked about the five domains, Mm -hmm. which I gather is your model, say, that you follow, and that these are the primary areas of life, if you will, (laughs) that you're helping the young people. Is there a curriculum that you follow at all? I'm just wondering what kind of training your counselors go through. And in order to provide some kind of consistent support for the different youth? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Valley Youth House actually has some wonderful trainings. We all come in and have, you know, specific ones that we do agency-wide. And then as we stay with the agency, we might be doing different ones throughout our years here. We can do outside trainings if there's something that we're interested in, or even if one of our youth is going through something specific and we want to learn more about it, Valley Youth House gives us the go-ahead, learn more about it, find a training, which is wonderful. The domains, I guess there's not really a set curriculum. We have our goal plan that covers the domains, so throughout their time with us, we're updating that plan and going through it with the youth and making changes as needed. But to be honest, there are things that when I first started, I had never done before that the youth needed my help with. So I had to learn about it. And I called on my colleagues and my coworkers, people who had done things before me, and we kind of teach each other We're very much jack of all trades here because there are things even after eight years that someone will ask me a question about and I'm like, oh my goodness, I have no idea. Let's learn together (laughs) or research, (laughs) calling community resources, asking friends, whatever the case may be. Between the trainings and just learning as we go, that's how we learn about these domains. Sure. You had mentioned that permanency might be considered the most important. Yeah. And you're talking about a connection with a caring, supportive adult, it sounds like, in the community, you're saying. And I certainly know there are research studies out there that do show that that relationship is one of the key factors to success for young people is having that relationship, at least one caring, supportive adult in their lives. And it sounds like that's what you experience as well. Oh, absolutely. We want to be part of that. We want to be that caring adult, but we also want to help them find other adults in their life that can be that support with them. We can only be there for so long, unfortunately, right? So we want to make sure we're sending them off into the world with as many, you know, we all need our team. We all have our support system and we really want to make sure And that can be a challenge. You know, these youth have been through so much trauma and let down and maybe gone through worker after worker and their trust is gone. So asking them like, hey, let's try to build a relationship with so-and-so, you know, it's asking a lot from them. So we're, we're mindful of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just wondering how you find these adults. Are they people already in the young people's lives that you, I would imagine that might be the people you go to first? Mm -hmm. Yes. So a lot of times the youth might identify someone that maybe they haven't had contact with in a while for whatever reason. 
And the counselor can say like, well, why don't we reach out to them? I can sit with you if you want to make the phone call, or we can call the county and see if they have contact information for people. And the county agency, they do family finding and things like that. And sometimes they might find a family member that the youth had no idea they even existed. So they might ask their counselor, like, can you support me in in whatever way needed to be prepared to visit, things like that. There's also, we're big into, if you have an interest and there's, you know, community activities or something out there, let's go out there. If you really like yoga, for example, and you want to become more involved in that community, we'll go together. We can take some classes. We want you to make friends. That's a huge thing, just meeting new people helping them in that way, getting them involved with their school, school activities. That's a huge way for them to feel that connection, especially if they do go off to college, get connected with people like-minded, have the same interests, and you never know who you're going to meet. Yeah, that's true. You don't. So it's just really trying to encourage them while they're with you to find that person. It might take a little while. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's probably the most challenging yet most important part of what we do. Right. Well, the other domains, education, employment, housing, and I'll say life skills. Yep. Right. In general. Mm -hmm. I ask this question of others when I interview them and it's really an intriguing question is if you had to prioritize them, In helping a young person be ready for adulthood, is there a way to prioritize them or is it something that, you know, they need all five? They can't just have one or the other. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, again, depends on the youth because one of those domains might be more important than another. I think even daily living skills, people don't realize that sometimes these youth are in situations where they're not allowed to make a sandwich for themselves. They don't know how to use a microwave or wash their clothing. So that's why those simple tasks that we might take for granted, we try to teach those. You know, it's being able to just be on your own in your own home. Like, can you take care of yourself in that way? So I think having those very simple things is super important. Housing is probably also a number one. Yeah, (laughs) it is hard. But I mean, having stability in housing... I couldn't imagine some of the situations that I hear about having to live house to house, not really feeling comfortable in your own space, not having like a room that's, you know, in my life, my room was always my, that's where I went. That was my sanctuary. And, you know, these youth might not have that. So I think housing and daily living, super important. And does finance and financial knowledge, does that fall under the life skills in your program? Yeah, we help with banking, budgeting, things like that. I've talked to another organization recently, and they have a huge emphasis on financial knowledge and abilities so that they can manage the other areas of their lives better. Absolutely. And we try. Those probably aren't our most fun groups because (laughs) who wants to hear about banking and budgeting, but they're definitely the most important skills. And even as far as money in general, depending on a youth and their ability, we teach them how to make change. They might have never done that before. So from that all the way to how to get a loan for a car and things like that. But yeah, the financial piece is very important. And unfortunately, saving for a youth who is going to be aging out at 21 and need to be on their own, it's a lot more important than someone who doesn't have to worry necessarily about where am I going to live at 21. And especially right now, the way things are, it's getting tougher and tougher to set them up for being on their own successfully. 
that just, you know, financially saving the money, earning the money that you need now to have a one bedroom apartment. It's tough. Now you had said there was a some kind of housing or transitional living program under Valley Youth House? Yes. Mm-hmm. So our IL, our independent living sites. Yeah. And is there a crossover there with the people you work with? Do any yes. of them live there? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then they have a chance to practice right. living on their own, right. which is certainly an advantage. I love seeing more and more transitional living yeah. spaces being opened up. And I'm seeing organizations finding like old hotels mm-hmm. or what have you to convert to living space for young people, apartments and so forth. And I just, I love seeing, it just seems to be growing. Yes. And I hope it continues to grow. One thing that I would love to change and improve with the system is if we did have more of those types of placements for youth. I think it's so important. It's such a positive experience for them to learn without being completely on their own. And, you know, they learn even just how to budget, but oftentimes they'll have to put aside money, but maybe they'll get that chunk of money back at the end. It's like, we're going to save this for you. Yep. You know what a Milton Hershey School does now? And they weren't doing it when I was there because mm-hmm. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> They have the senior year, young people live in a transitional living experience. Mm -hmm. So that's a required part of the experience at Milton Hershey School, which is a residential school. So after living in the houses where the young people live with the house parents, they move into transitional living for their senior year. And I just think that would be a fantastic model. The question is, how do you get that started? Mm-hmm. Right? It would be part of the official system under government oversight mm-hmm. because it's their senior year. You know, some young people turn 18 during or before their senior year, but that could be worked out. It, they wouldn't have to be, right? They could be 17 in the program. But the idea is that whatever they're going to be, whenever their birthday is, have them live a year in transitional living. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it doable? And Is it a dream that <laughs> is too high up there? I don't think so. I think it's doable. It comes down to, of course, funding and having the workers who are there for the youth too. Right. I just think there's so many nonprofits that are, like I said, they have or they're starting this transitional living. I would love to see more partnerships with the county governments to try to make this happen. Mm -hmm. That would be one possible solution. (laughs) I love that you've introduced this topic because I was going to introduce it anyway. So great segue. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) What else do you think the foster care system could do to improve the support of foster youth, especially older foster youth, as they're approaching aging out? What can be done better? What could be done better. So more money would be great. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, <laughs> that's the first thing <laughs> that comes always. in. More money needed, more assistance for I don't necessarily think it's like the county agencies. I think for what we're seeing around here is, you know, a lot of youth they want their own apartment, they're ready for their own apartment and they can't find a landlord to rent to them free. So like almost kind of a Section 8 for foster youth, right? Yes. So they're helping them out. Yes. Wouldn't have to be under Section 8, but something like that. Yes. And if it was, you know, like an apartment building, like the same thing, another transition, just that other step that, okay, you maybe you go from an independent living home where you do have an RA who's there and you have more supports to somewhere where there really isn't support, but you can stay here. 
be completely on your own, but it's like just another step because it's just so hard. The rent out here is astronomical. Landlords are really tough right now with renting. They want to see a certain amount of money in those bank accounts that, I mean, to be honest, I don't even know if I could do it on my own right now with what we're seeing in the trends. And I'm hoping that that will change. And I know this might be a little more specific to the areas that I'm working in, but I think just trying to help them get ahead has been a little more challenging lately. And yeah, I think just improving the outcomes for this youth, again, is just having more adults that are willing to spend some time and give these youth a chance. Even while they're in the system, there's very few foster homes that want to take on youth this age group, especially if they see a record and, you know, unfortunately, oh, this youth, they did this. I don't want them here. You know, they don't give them a chance to learn and meet them even. So having more foster homes that are willing to take on those older youth maybe even forever. That would be wonderful. You can adopt youth later in life. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fear. It's you know, fear of the unknown or maybe assumptions about yes. the bad stuff mm -hmm. that could happen versus let's think about the good stuff that could happen from this. Right. And I'm a big believer in giving people chances. And I think sometimes, I mean, I've seen paper that with a list of things that this youth has gotten in trouble for, youth that they have done, but then you meet them and you're like, oh, I can't believe that's what's on paper about you. And that's not who they are. That's has to do with, again, their trauma, their background. You know, there's reasons for this behavior. Or the kids they're hanging out with, right? They might have been with the wrong crowd for a while. Exactly. Or there's like a, yeah, there's never, I don't believe that there's bad kids out there. It's just, it's circumstantial. It, they've gone through things. Or even if they've acted out in a group home. I could not imagine being in a group home at that age. You're 16, you know, your hormones are all crazy. You don't even know what's going on and having to deal with a bunch of peers and living with them and being around them all the time. Of course, you're going to, you know, maybe well, usually under out. very strict conditions too. Right, that too. So they're not given the opportunity sometimes to even just leave the campus. Right. Maybe giving more freedoms to young people earlier mm -hmm. would help. Yeah. And we've seen that progress too. Before I started, I remember that, you know, youth weren't allowed to do anything unless their caseworker had to say it was okay and they had to do background checks on everywhere they went. So there right. has been but that's progress. not life. That's not exactly. life. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so we're not there anymore, right? We've definitely come a long way from there, which is wonderful. So but yeah. Yeah, it's a challenge thinking how to improve the system. And it's great. I mean, I think I've solved it, you know, maybe two or three <laughs> times over with different yep. interviewees. But it's always the question of, well, how do we actually make the changes? And that's why I hope that there are advocacy groups that listen to these podcasts and yeah. maybe get an idea or two from each right. one that they can take and run with. Because mm -hmm. there's some great ideas that come out of these conversations. And I just wish that they could all be applied. Yeah, But it's a big system and it's tough to turn a huge ship like that. Yeah. We actually have a group of, it's made of youth. It's called the Youth Advisory Board or YAB for short. And their primary goal is to help implement change in the foster care system and give the youth a voice. So we love hearing from them. It's a once a month meeting that the youth have and they work on different projects throughout the years that are trying to help the foster care system. But oftentimes when other agencies or you know, whomever wants to hear the youth's voice, we call on them and they have some wonderful input just on their experience and what they think would make the system better. Hmm, that's fantastic. Yeah. And are they under AAI or is that yeah. a different group? Oh, they are. Okay. Mm -hmm. For us, yeah. It's actually, it's a statewide Pennsylvania thing. 
And so there's different, we're broken off into local and regional and statewide youth advisory board. Okay. We try to give the youth a voice. We're very big on advocating and. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Got to do that. Mm -hmm. One, it's good for them to share their experiences as almost a cathartic, Mm -hmm. right? Experience to help them come to grips with things and manage through them. But So many people are unaware of the challenges that these young people go through, that the more and more that they can hear it directly from the young people, the better, because it hits home harder when it's from the youth directly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, I see that we're coming up on our time here. I want to give you an opportunity if somebody wanted to give you a donation. Do you accept donations? And if so, where would they go? Yes, Valley Youth House does accept donations. Mm-hmm. I would look on the Valley Youth House website. We have... That's just valleyyouthhouse.org? Yes. Okay. And I believe there's a specific button that you can hit for donations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most nonprofits have it somewhere yep. on that homepage. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> can they target it for your program or is it just a general donation to all the services? I believe they could. Some people might ask. So right. No, I no. Throw that out there. Yes, we definitely have people that, you know, would want to specifically donate to our program. Wonderful. The other thing I wanted to mention is the Aging Out Institute Awards Program. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at our awards program, but right now we have the application window open for organizations or programs within organizations like yours Mm -hmm. to apply for an award. I don't know if you've heard of our award or might be considering applying, but I would highly encourage it. Okay. You just have to be a 501c3 that works with young people aging out of foster care and being, you know, doing those services for more than three years. So it sounds like you fit the bill. Yep. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wonderful. So yes, please check that out. Just go to agingoutinstitute.org and look for the awards link on the left and that'll give you all the information you need. Sounds good. Fantastic. Well, I think we're going to have to come to a close. I'm bummed because I've been really enjoying this conversation, but (laughs) it is what it is. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lauren, for participating again. And I really wish you all the best in your program, with all your programs, working with young people. And I look forward to hearing more about you as time goes on. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And you know what? We are close enough that one day I want to come visit too. Oh, please do. We'd love it. <laughs> I would love to do During that. a group, come meet some youth. <laughs> oh, that'd be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I don't know if you knew that I aged out of foster care myself too. Oh, I didn't. Wow. Way back when. Wow. It has been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I guess 1985. So it has been many, many years. Wow. But yes, I lived in two different group homes. Wow. Lived with my grandmother for a bit. Ended up with a foster family in Hanover who happened to be extended family. They were already foster parents. And we had my sister and I had never met them. So we ended up living with them ultimately my senior year. So it worked out in the end after a bumpy road. But yes, I do have some lived experience. I'm sure that was quite an experience back then as well. Much different than now. I'm sure it was. In fact, I would love to compare notes with some youth someday to find out how different it was. Please reach out. I'd love to have you speak to our youth and have those conversations. Okay. Sounds good. Well, I'll make a note of it. Okay. All right. Well, with that, and uh, again, 
Thank you so much for participating. For those who have listened to the podcast to the very end, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can find the podcast on agingoutinstitute.org and just look for the podcast link. We also have a new Patreon site where people can support the podcast on a monthly basis. It helps us put the podcast out on a regular basis like this to highlight organizations like Valley Youth House and their programs like Adolescents Achieving Independence and would really appreciate that support. That's just at patreon.com slash aging out institute. Thank you all very much for listening until next time.